Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. We're going to get into my soul care book very shortly here, but I just want to remind you, if you want a physical copy of the book so that you can work your way through the discussion questions or do my favorite thing, which is get together with a group of ladies around a table and have some coffee or tea or your favorite drink of choice and hang out and discuss things of God together, uh, it's just an amazing way to make great friends. Uh, then request your copy of Soul Care, Nurturing Your Spiritual Wellness, when you give to our $155,000 challenge grant. This month, your gift goes twice as far. More bang for your buck. No losing in this situation. So give today by visiting us at timeofgrace.org or writing us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Now, chapter four. Comparison isn't good for the soul. The self-care ideology strives for a better life here. It searches for peace and rest and the ever-elusive happiness and continually offers another step we can try in order to hopefully attain those things now. At its core, there's something just ahead that should be better. If we breathe right, enjoy nature, or sit with a friend, something should shift. Fulfillment should happen. To be clear, I love breathing. I work with people dying from congestive heart failure. When I had pneumonia during my fourth pregnancy, I often coughed until I gasped for air. It took a full year for my lungs to heal, so I didn't lose my breath with minor exertion. I absolutely love nature. Our family vacations revolve largely around experiencing the ocean, hiking to the top of a cliff, exploring a sand dune, trekking through a cave, looking at animals, or seeing whatever part of creation that area offers. And Christian friends are the jewels in the Christian life. All these things add value to life, but ultimately they point to the giver. James reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Chapter 1, verse 17. Too often we don't realize how good things were until something changes. When our health fades, we think of how easy life was when we were healthy. When a relationship is strained, it's natural to look back to a time when things seemed better. When the bank account is empty or there's a person missing at the table, it's normal to wish things were different. And while God loves to give us blessings to make this journey more enjoyable, our focus wasn't meant to be on the blessings or the lack thereof. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul learned to fix his eyes on Jesus, not his circumstances. Circumstances will change. There will be years of plenty and years of little. There will be years of health and years of sickness. Our loved ones will die, and someday we will too. God never intended that we become attached to this world or this life. Peter tells us to live as aliens and temporary residents in the world, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, because we're just passing through. 
At creation, the plan may have been for us to live here in perfection forever, but from the second Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan instead of God, plan B was initiated. And plan B was Jesus rescuing us by making the payment for our sin and death, being the vehicle to take us to our eternal home in heaven. Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, away from the tree of life. Death was a consequence of sin. Everything, all creation, became subject to decay. It shouldn't surprise us then when our aging bodies struggle in ways they didn't before. And we shouldn't be caught off guard by death or disease. And yet so often we are because the world encourages us to seek a better here and now and to find our heaven on earth. Satan and the army of evil tempt us to be short-sighted. He did the same to Jesus. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Matthew 4, verses 8 to 10. Satan will gladly give you great gifts if they keep you from God. He will move you up the ladder so you get the prestigious job if it keeps you from church and God's people. He will gladly put friends and their love of motorcycles or snowmobiles or travel opportunities in your path to consume your thoughts and steal your time. He will nudge you to get the bigger house, the bigger yard, to have more, do more, want more if he keeps you out of the word, away from prayer, and helps you fall in love with the world. The prophet Habakkuk gives us a different view. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Habakkuk realized something most of us struggle to understand. If life is wonderful and blessings abundant, but we don't have a relationship with God, we are in a horrific state. If, however, we have God on our side, no matter how dire our earthly situation, we are blessed. We do not need more to be happy or even enough to be fulfilled. Enough is knowing Jesus and walking with him. Enough is knowing no matter how bleak life gets here, there's a home in heaven that already has each of our names on the mailbox. That is why Paul said, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8 verse 18. It's not about comparing where you are now to where you could be in a year or two or five. It's about comparing where you are now to where you will be for eternity. That is not to say you can't have dreams and you shouldn't strive for anything, but your dreams and striving will include a closer walk with Jesus, being active in kingdom work, reaching more people with the gospel, and living like Jesus, who didn't let the pleasures of the world keep him from his mission. I've been working as a traveling nursing assistant for 14 months. When I first started, I had four or five money goals I put before the Lord. These were things that would be pretty hard to meet without that income. 
As the paychecks came in, I was able to make pretty significant strides towards those goals. It didn't take long, though, for me to realize how easy it would be to make new money goals once those were met. I didn't want there to be a moving target of what I wanted. God and God alone is and would be my security no matter what we had paid off or saved. It's easy to yearn for more. We can always come up with new things to need. So while I spent 13 months working hard for money, as those 13 months came to a close, I started asking for ministry. I began taking fewer shifts to make sure I had time to do the kingdom work I'm passionate about doing. Paul made tents for a season in order to fund his ministry. We sometimes do just the opposite. We do ministry for a season, but just a season, so we can get back to making money and enjoying life. What if instead of seeking pleasure and more, we pursued less of that and more of God? What would that look like? Day to day, that might mean less phone and more Bible. It may mean less work and more time to volunteer in the community or with that organization that does amazing outreach. It means fewer daydreams about things we can buy and more days of getting rid of what keeps us from doing kingdom work. Every instrument needs tuning. When I worked with the praise band, tuning the instruments to the piano was the first thing to happen before any practice and always before playing in front of a congregation. Life in a sinful world easily makes us sharp or flat. We chase after the things of the world or become dejected for not having it all. Either way, we lose our focus on God and the ministry he prepares for each of us. We forget our purpose and wander from the plan. We need to go back to God again and again to have our hearts tuned to him. As we do that, God will use even the dark seasons when we are sick or broke or persecuted for good. Paul wrote letters to the early Christian churches when he was imprisoned. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from prison too. We can spend our days longing to get out of whatever isn't right or complaining we aren't somewhere else. Or we can ask to see the kingdom opportunities in front of us right now, even in the less than ideal days and seasons and places. We may have to get off social media to do this. During 2020, I limited my time on Facebook because mentally I couldn't handle the political discord. A year later, I joined TikTok. It quickly consumed an hour in the morning and an hour at night and sometimes, oftentimes, more time in between. Influencers, people who make the best videos, who make us laugh and are healthy and beautiful, shape our thoughts and steer our minds. After a year, I deleted TikTok. I want God to influence me. I want the word to shape my thoughts and steer me to a different attitude and mindset. And if I compare myself to anyone or strive to be like someone, I want it to be Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. 
Jesus left the glory of heaven to experience this discomfort of life on earth. He kept the commands that I continually break. He refused to go the route of pleasure and glory, but sought only what the Father provided. He did not do what he wanted or thought best, but what his Father willed. He was misunderstood and despised. He suffered ridicule, persecution, and death for us. He did more, gave up more, cared more. He resolutely stayed on task. He recognized Satan's schemes and refused to be distracted or coerced or coddled into anything that didn't align with God's will. When I compare myself to Jesus, I fall short. My love has parameters. His was limitless. I'm easily distracted. He had laser sharp focus. He refused to be drawn into earthly glory and pleasures. When I compare myself to Jesus, I'm reminded of his extreme love and sacrifice, and I too am motivated to live differently. The writer of Hebrews said it beautifully. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Run your race. Don't worry about where you are or where somewhere else, someone else might be. Fix your eyes firmly on Jesus, who endured the cross and shame for the sake of future glory. Consider Jesus. He will give you strength and motivate you to keep going.